How you doing? I'm Mike Gaddy and welcome to the 743 Patterson Park Podcast. So, I love music. I truly do, but I don't like music that most people like. I like John Denver and Enya and things that and show tunes. Maybe it's because I'm just, <laughs> just a gay man. I don't know. But this week I got to sit down with Wes Anderson. Wes is a local musician who is the foodie of music. He takes funk and hip-hop, rap and reggae together and blends them into tunes that even I want to crank up and, and just jam to. We talk about music and the music industry in 2021, what it's like during COVID, what it's like working with A-list celebrities. And in fact, Wes said that 10 years ago, if he'd have worked with some of the celebrities that he's had the honor to work with, he would have, quote, fame girl completely out. Fame girled out. He's a down-to-earth guy. We had a great conversation. And if you're interested in music and what it's like to be a musician, working with a band and working with A-list talent, it's worth listening to. Take a listen. Uh, the first thing I want to ask you, Wes, is you describe yourself as a genre-bending foodie of music. What exactly do you mean by that? Um, I, I think it's, it's more of a reflection of, of, I guess, the diversity of my influences and, and preferences in music. Um, I guess like, you know, uh, I, I, I don't consider myself like a foodie, but I imagine foodies would probably say they like foods from all different types of cultures and areas of the world and things like that. And I, I kind of think of myself as that in terms of music. Um, and I just have never really felt the need to sort of stay consistent with what, what genres I play. Um, I, I try to keep it, keep it authentic and, and just really, really play the styles of music that I'm just feeling at the time and, and, and the influences I'm drawing from. And in those come from all sorts of weird places and pockets <laughs> of the world. And, and um, definitely think that's reflected in the music. Yeah. Your first, uh... So you've released eight singles in two years. Yep. In there, what are some of the different genres that you pull in for your influences? Yeah, I mean, hip hop is definitely a big one. Uh, metal, reggae, um, funk, uh, rock, you know, uh, punk. Um, I would say those are probably the the main ones. And uh, depending on what song you listen to, we'll definitely hear elements of those genres. I, I, yeah, I think that's probably more like it has to do with like the groove and the funk influence in me, even if it's not necessarily a straightforward like funk song. I just think uh, each song has like a inherent groove to it, which uh, lends itself to being a little easier to digest, I think kind of, you know, more something to bob your head to or, or something like that. Whereas, yeah, like the Limp Biscuit type of music is definitely more. Well, I, they have some groove too to give to be honest, but it's definitely way more, way more like uh, aggressive, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, but God, I mean, they're a hugely popular group and, and, yeah. and you know, I, I just, um, you know, it's far cry from Enya. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sometimes life can be stressful. Sometimes
me the ting. ting. Freer than free, like when the school bell ring, ring, ting, ting. Ain't it a funny thing how some will talk? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was. It was. I had to pinch myself when I was uh talking on the phone with DJ Lethal. I mean, the guy's a freaking legend. He was in House of Pain. He's produced tons of records that you probably had no idea he produced. Limp Biscuit. I mean, he's he's probably sold up. Like I think his Wikipedia says he sold like 50 million records with his bands. It's just, you know, like I couldn't even fathom that level of success and, and to be able to like text him and be, you know, talking about a song we're doing together is just, just pretty crazy. You collaborate with a lot of people and a lot of them are, are not only are you very well known, but, but a lot of them are very well known. Are you a little starstruck? What is it like to be talking to and collaborating with somebody who has a presence on the national stage? Yeah, um, you know, if, if this was happening like 10 years ago, I, I probably would have like totally fangirled out and, and probably to the point where they wouldn't want to work with me. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, the, I, there's like a saying, never meet your heroes, but um, I'm very fortunate that the musical people I've, I've grown up and, and respected and, and, and now collaborated with or have been nothing but class acts and like total pros um so yeah to to you know hang out and, and do a song with like peanut from 311 or when i was in oakland I, I was in the studio with lyrics born someone i've listened to for like over a decade and you know here i'm in the studio with him all day and it's just uh yeah it's, it's a trip it's a trip but you know i've been very fortunate to uh not really have any like super negative experiences like you know a lot of you know, it's not uncommon for successful musicians to be dickheads. <laughs> um, fortunate enough, I, I have not encountered that too much. So, so do you think as musicians find their groove, they kind of sit back a little bit and, and get back to their creative roots? Honestly, I, I do believe that. And I, I, maybe it's just a security thing. Um, you know, once, once you've made it and, and you're wildly successful beyond your dreams, I think there's a certain confidence and security that maybe comes along with that, where you don't feel the need to be like a douchebag as, <laughs> as much, or like, you're not, you don't feel like, I don't know. I, I, th I think you were right though, that, uh, you know, it tends to be like the people that have found some success, but still feel like protective of it maybe is, is a way to put it. And they don't want to let people into that, that success that they're having. Um, yeah. I mean, how, so you, before you, broke out as a uh as as a solo artist um in a collaborative style solo artist you were in bands and you worked in several bands how was that transition between band into working as 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 the the lead curator let's put it yeah um i mean it definitely prepared me to be able to to hit the ground running when i did decide to go solo because you know being in bands i was able to go through the whole uh, recording process from pre-production to mastering, um, having just having that experience with working with producers and um, things like that, and just uh, getting to know other musicians, sort of just you know networking and, and making friends with other people in this you know kind of in the same hustle as me. So um, it's a lot more. There's a lot more responsibility when it's when it's when it's just you because everything stops and you know, everything's on you. So every decision you make is, is up to you, which is awesome. You know, there's a lot of extra freedom that comes with that. But, oh, wait, um, yeah, it's awesome, but it's also like, 
you have to decide everything. Yeah. I mean, everything. And and any little glitch is, you know, they're looking at you and staring at you. And in the case of, you know, some of these people who are leaders, you know, in music, you, that might be just a little intimidating. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But um, like I, without, but I, with the experience that I've had, I, I, I felt pretty good going into it and have a good sense of, of what I want out of a specific project or song I'm working on or collaborators. So definitely, you know, it, 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 without that experience, it definitely would have probably been a little more intimidating and, and challenging. So you have a, a, a style in, in addition to your gen, John, <laughs> genre, not gender, <laughs> genre bending style. <laughs> you, um, you, your style of collaborating for me is, is somewhat different. And, and I'm this way with photography. I tend to, and in fact, it's probably the reason why I do this podcast. I love collaboration. I like bringing in people and voices into the, into the mix. A lot of artists though, aren't that way. Has it been hard? Um, finding other artists who share your mindset and collab to collaborate with? Yeah, honestly, that's something that's, that's kind of been the biggest challenge is just getting um, the vocalists, uh, the featured singers. Um, and that can take a while, you know, so, you know, especially, you know, I try to work with, you know, very established and successful artists and sometimes going through managers can be, a lot more headache than really needs to be, which is annoying. So definitely try to go straight to the artist if I can. But um, yeah, you know, between getting them excited about an idea or just getting in touch with them in the first place can be a challenge. And then, and then even if they do get on board, finding the time to coordinate when they're going to record, because a lot of these singers are touring musicians on the road a lot, have their own bands and obligations. So. Maybe not right now. <laughs> yeah well that's just yeah i'm trying to yeah i'm trying to definitely take advantage of that because all these people are home so i'm trying to like crank out a bunch of demos as fast as i can and get them off to these people before they hit the road again so how has that's boy i couldn't have planned that better if i tried how how has covid19 changed how you're working right now and let me lead into this with you know once i decided to do a podcast featuring an artist, you're never safe from my little prying eyes, <laughs> from my little prying eyes, because I start to, I start to pull up things and, and follow you and, and see what make, try, try to see what makes you tick. So one of your latest Instagram posts, and I absolutely love this, and I'm going to quote it, at quote, at this point in the lockdown, we're playing a bar gig at some dive carpet stained sports bar blasting the big game during my performance and having some drunk buffoon ask me where the bathroom is while I'm mid solo doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> and I, I love this because it's exactly how I feel. You know, everyone thinks that, oh, you're on the road, you're working these big events, you're doing this or you're doing that, or you're a musician, you're hanging out with these bands, blah, 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 is all so glamorous. Uh, but how is the glamour factor in this in reality uh i mean for me pretty non-existent <laughs> um i have i've been able to get um i have seen it like like a real like um i'll just tell you this story uh was it two summers ago summer 2018 when 311 was on their summer tour with uh the offspring and gym class heroes they had a uh it was a philadelphia the philadelphia show and that was uh while I was working on uh, my single one of one, which their 311 basis was on. 
for my my podcast meet the collaborators and then like when that was over he was like asked if i was had backstage pass for the whole night because it was only supposed to be before the show and like he got he was just like like all cool like follow me and like got one of his uh guitar texts to like get uh me and my friend um some backstage passes and i was just like walking through the tour buses you know they had like semi trucks all backed up behind the stage and like seeing all their road cases with their like logo printed on them i was just like i was in heaven i was like this is so fucking cool <laughs> um but that, that that's a that they're on the the they're the one percenters of, of the musicians and, and whereas like other other band friends that are making a good living touring and, and doing the music thing even on you know even them they're still kind of like scrunched into their bus or tour van or whatever and like you know have like pretty small green rooms and stuff like that so like it's it's you know, sustainable, but definitely even if you're a career musician, it takes, you know, you have to be like top percentile to really sort of get the glamour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what I've seen it from yeah. my experience at least. That's so when I talked to Kate Klutzwitz, who does the Black Lives Mural windows, and then I talked to um, another couple artists, they all are say what they want to do is see their art out in the community. They want to see them, their, uh, their, the window, you know, her windows as she walks to work was one of the motivating factors for her to create these Black Lives Matter windows. I saw you were on a Southwest flight and the guy next oh, yeah. to you was jamming your music. What did that feel like? Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, we were talking beforehand. I, I forget like how it started. Um, but yeah, we started talking about music and I told him about my stuff and then like, we the conversation had ended and I just happened to look over and I was like, I know that cover art. That's my fucking song. <laughs> and your cover, I meant to ask you about that. Your cover art's very distinctive. Who does your cover art? Oh, thanks. Um, it, it depends on the song. I've had a couple people do like uh, uh, Pablo Marin. He's he's done the cover art for Red Cup Dub, the Red Cup Dub remix, and then uh, Keep Them Talking. So he nope. he's been he's Go been ahead, one of the main guys. Red Cup Dub is your latest uh, single that dropped, and then Red Cup Dub Remix was remixed by uh, you enlisted DJ Lethal um, 
and he's of Limp Bizkit fame to do that. What was that like to take and to take your your song and turn it over into the hands of somebody and say, here, do something else, make this, take this further? Yeah, um, there's definitely a, a lot of trust that goes into it. Um, and I, um, I've always wanted to do a remix just because I've seen artists like find really good success doing that. And it kind of opens you up to a new audience that you may not have had, uh, had access to before. So Lethal was actually the very last person because I hit up tons of people and for whatever reason, no one, it didn't work out with anyone. And I was like, all right, one last email. And it was like DJ Lethal. I was like, Hail Mary, you know, probably won't happen. Very last email. If it doesn't work out, I'm going to just work on the next single. Like I tried, didn't work out this time, maybe later. songs that um you know i could present to a different audience and and see how it goes and you know just just find a, a different angle to put myself out there how has marketing of music for the independent producer uh changed in the last couple of years and especially with covid yeah i mean it's it's definitely become more like direct to fan um, there's there's no need for a middleman anymore, which has been the case for a while, but it's it's definitely like the standard now. It's definitely like that's how, that's the standard. So um, yeah, it's just really it's just really easy for independent artists these days to directly reach people, um, whether that's on their Facebook newsfeed or a Spotify playlist or a YouTube ad or, or you know whatever. There's there's just so many channels you can hit hit the listener with. Uh, with your music and, and just go directly to them with your message and you know it's you talking to them so it's it's it's, it's great in my opinion for an independent artist to uh, you know approach marketing in a way that can really work for them that you're concerned about but you also have meet the collaborators which you mentioned before on YouTube and 
something else on YouTube. Oh, beh- uh, in the studio. And that seems to me to be a behind the scenes look at sort of how the how the cheese is made or whatever, this, how yeah. the sausage is made. That's it. Yeah. Um, is that part of your philosophy to give fans total access into what's going on? Yeah. Um, I know some artists prefer to have like a, a blanket of mystery sort of surrounding what they do, but um, not me. I, I love as a fan to, to see all the behind the scenes stuff, the studio footage and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I just try to put myself like if, if in the the listener the fan shoes and, and ask myself like if my favorite band did this would i enjoy it and that's that's just sort of my barometer of what kind of content i put out there so um yeah it just makes sense with the nature of the the artists i work with and the collaborations and uh different studios i get to record out of to just really you know be mindful of that and and try to document it and and put it together in a way that you know is good enough quality that someone might want to watch it on youtube or something right. yeah so i think my favorite one has been with uh, a Maryland guy, actually, Tommy Sickles, um, who was a, a drummer of a, a pretty pretty successful metal band in the early 2000s called Nothing Face. And it was it's a trip how we know each other because I was a fan of his band when I was like 14 years old living in Ohio. And I saw them open up at the Toledo Sports Arena. They opened up for Pantera, uh, which was just legendary to see that as a 14-year-old kid. And then Fast forward 14 years later, I'm living in Maryland and I got uh, hired to play guitar for this project that he was a drummer in. So, you know, I'm, I'm in his, ba- you know, the first rehearsal is at his house in his basement and I see all like his nothing face, like stickers and shit everywhere. I was like, holy crap, like, can't believe I'm here right now. And then we became friends and just kind of kept in touch and then um, got him, got him to do the uh, drums on mine quarantine, uh, a single I released last year. And then the, the, we did uh, the meet the collaborators in the studio when we were done tracking and like his stories were just so legendary, like, you know, touring with Pantera, partying with Dimebag Daryl. He's one of my favorite guitarists playing for 50,000 people in Germany and like, just like legendary shit. I was like, man, just just keep talking, dude. Like, like, don't stop. (laughs) Yeah. That is super cool. And that's on your YouTube page. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Under meet the collaborators. Um, So, you described with COVID-19 slamming down, your last major live performance was downtown, um, the ice, I'm going to mangle this, the uh, ice. Frozen because, Harbor. Frozen Harbor? Frozen Harbor at, at uh, um, the pier. At power, the, uh, power plant. Power plant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> someday I'll get organized. Uh <laughs> And uh, so that was the last, your last big live event. And after that, you found that your studio, you couldn't even go into the studio because you were working with a Baltimore studio to do your music. And with the quarantine, that wasn't happening. So how have you had to adapt? Yeah, so I I just uh, finally ripped the bandaid off and just got some home recording equipment, which is something I should have done a decade ago. Like, I feel like I'm almost embarrassed to say that, like, I never knew how to record myself at home uh, just until last year, which as a 20 plus year guitarist is kind of shameful, but whatever, you know, whatever works. Uh, One of the people I talked to, Cheryl Lawson, who uh, and her son, Aaron Hill, uh, who does Aaron Hill TV, um, said that COVID was a um, 
was we could use COVID to be inspired to learn new things. And they were the first people that I talked to that really expressed that. And then as I was poking through your Meet the Podcast series, one of the guys you interviewed said something very similar. So, I mean, have you, have you been able to use COVID as a sort of regrouping and yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, especially with the, the Meet the Collaborators podcast, because I, I typically always want to try to do them in person. Uh, so I've been able to do them in like pretty cool locations between like dressing rooms and backstages or tour buses or studios. But um, with COVID, I switched to doing a, uh, like a live stream, which resulted in way better reach, more views, organic traffic was up. So uh, like that was sort of like something I never thought of. But since because of COVID, I was sort of had to you know, reimagine how I could do it and live streaming being uh, booming right now and all that. So that was like a, like a blessing in disguise, I guess, to just transition to doing the live streaming format. And I was able to like get my podcast mic and have a better audio quality and all that stuff. So that was, that was a really cool thing for sure. Wes said, I just try to keep it authentic. And I think it's that authenticity about his music that made me like it so much. I encourage you to go on his website, follow it through to YouTube or Spotify, hit his playlist and jam the music as you head around the neighborhood. I'm going to. Right now, local artists need your help. With live events offline, the only way they have of connecting with their local audience is through their Spotify playlists or YouTube. The other group that needs your help our local chefs. And next week, we're going to talk to Chef Andrew Weinsroll, who's opening a restaurant right in the middle of the pandemic, right next to Patterson Park in the old Life of Riley building. Chef uh, Weinsroll is going to open it with his um, partner, who is a librarian at the Baltimore Enoch Pratt Libraries. They're going to call it Revisions Books and Bar. It's going to open as soon as March uh, with a soft opening that'll have access to carry out food. So next week, we're going to sit down with Andrew, talk to him about the food scene here in Baltimore, what it's like opening a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic, and anything else that pops into our head. So please join me. We'll see you in two weeks.